This is Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. As you see, this is my husband's giant flamingo he'll be riding in on. Barrett DeLong Church is showing me a Mardi Gras float in the crew of Arminius Den. Arminius is an all-male gay crew, and it celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. I met Barrett, this year's crew captain, at their den the day before their big ball. This year's theme? Novelle Orleans, 300 Years of Fabulous. Obviously what I should have called tripod. Oh, tomorrow's going to be incredible. And it was. I was there. The ball was held at Mardi Gras World. Hundreds of people showed up, many in black tie, to see these flamboyant costumes in action. People sat in tuxes and gowns at tables, picking at cheese plates and pounding drinks, as crew members pranced around the space, one by one, blowing kisses to the cheering crowds from inside their flamingos, streetcars, giant spider costumes, you name it. When the queen came out, rose petal-like confetti fell from the ceiling. It was a sight to behold. Armenius is one of just a handful of gay crews that still holds an annual ball. But decades ago, at one given time, there were over 20 gay crews. These crews and crew members pioneered this art form, the gay carnival ball. Back when it was essentially a crime. Gay men have been getting together and celebrating carnival for a long time. We just didn't know about it. Howard Smith is the author of Unveiling the Muse, the Lost History of Gay Carnival in New Orleans. He lived here for years and was an active participant in the gay community and gay carnival scene. His book was published in 2017, and it's the first comprehensive history of gay carnival. Someone had to do it. You know, I, I did it. but In the earliest written record of carnival in New Orleans back in 1730, a young French clerk named Marc-Antoine Caillot described dressing up as a shepherdess, quote, complete with beauty marks and plumped up breasts. Whether he called it drag or not, that's what these 18th century party animals were doing. Then, in 1805, a new anti-sodomy law passed. Gay culture went largely underground, and so did gay carnival. Howard Smith says you couldn't hold hands with someone of the same sex, you couldn't dance with someone of the same sex, you couldn't dress in drag. But there was one exception. Mardi Gras Day. You can't arrest someone because they're in costume on Mardi Gras Day. And so they gated up. The first gay crew in New Orleans formed in 1958 in the wake of McCarthyism and the Lavender Scare, a witch hunt against gay people in the government. The crew called itself the Crew of Yuga. And Howard says this may just be lore, but it's possible... That Yuga was a play on asking shorthand if someone was gay. Well, you know... <laughs> you gay? I Yuga? Go, Yuga? <laughs> I, I, you gay? Um... <laughs> secret language to find out safely if someone else was gay. Yuga? You gay? I hope it's true. I I hope it's it's true. true. I hope it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Safe words and secret languages, that's part of what these crews were. More than just entertainment, they were places of refuge for the gay community and a place for networking, much like benevolent societies and social aid and pleasure clubs. Here's where you found your doctor, your lawyer, if you were lucky, your employer, and your friends. And so one of the first big challenges for the crew of Yuga was finding a physical safe space for their first ball. They held it in one of the crew members' homes on Carrollton Avenue. It was held there again the next year, in 1959, and over 200 people showed up. It was clear Yuga needed to find a real venue. 
They bounced around for the next couple of years and then landed a spot in Metairie. That sort of worked for a couple of years, but then they had the raid. The raid. You're listening to Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lane Kathan Levinson. Talk to me about the raid that happened. This was the fifth ball for the, the crew of Yuga? Yeah, fifth and final ball, yeah. 1963. Well, the police received a phone call from an irate citizen supposedly complaining about this lewd party that was going on there. The Jefferson Parish police came in full force. Police on horseback, the canine unit, all of it. Uh, almost 100 people were arrested. Their names were printed in the newspaper, which was a point of shame for so many years. Many of them were in the closet at the time. Some were married and had families. When Howard interviewed the head of Yuga about the incident, he said, We were terrorized. Uh, a lot of us lost our jobs, and we just we couldn't handle it. The crew folded. But another gay crew had formed, the crew of Petronius, and they continued on despite the fears of being raided the way Yuga was. They just needed to find a place where they knew they'd be safe. And who would have thunk it'd be the St. Bernard Civic Auditorium in Chalmette? And you have the St. Bernard police there directing traffic, helping these drag queens, you know, that with these costumes across Judge Perez Drive. Now, that's something you don't see often because, you know, that's... Uh, that's not the most liberal no, <laughs> parish. No, I was going to say dear. that the fact that Chalmette became the mecca for gay carnival balls is just insane to me. It's insane. Legend has it that somebody had dirt on somebody, and so Petronius was able to blackmail and pay their way in. And once they got their foot in the door, more crews emerged, knowing there was a safe space for their balls. And everybody went to everybody's balls. Diane DiMaselli. I mean, you had to have your tuxedo or tuxedos. Blue Bernard. Twice on a weekend, and then you'd have till the next weekend to get the damn thing clean. Michael Hickerson, a.k.a. Fish. You'd have to use Febreze. <laughs> These three have all known each other for over 30 years, and they're all former gay crew founders. We met at the friendly bar in the Marigny where they reminisced. Here's Diane. A lot of cities, you know, they put everything into gay pride because that's what they have. Well, we have Mardi Gras. She co-founded the crew of Ishtar, the only gay woman's crew. Women weren't allowed in crews, and many didn't even feel welcome in gay bars. There was a big gender divide in the gay community. So Ishtar formed in 1978 as a space for women to participate in gay carnival. Ishtar was the only woman's crew, period. Michael Hickerson, a.k.a. Fish, also founded a crew called Polyphemus. He did so after an experience he had joining a different gay crew called Amun-Ra. When I went to join the crew of Amun-Ra, a third of the organization left. They left because Fish is black. This is one of many experiences Fish can recall being discriminated against within the gay community. Even in the friendly bar where we sat talking, he remembers an after party that took place decades ago right here at Friendly Bar after the crew of Amon Ra's ball. It was the president and the reigning queen. They were in that bathroom and I opened the door to go pee and the president said, close that door, nigga. This was the late 80s. Fish was on the crew's board. I don't care how much you felt you were accepted and stuff. Mm-mm. There was always that word. There was always that word. Do 
Despite the problematic gender and racial dynamics within the gay community, everyone I spoke to still saw the 80s as the quote-unquote golden age. Gay Mardi Gras was hitting its peak. There were over 20 crews, each with dozens of members. The New Orleans gay scene and gay Mardi Gras was thriving. But suddenly, Diane told me, this golden age turned into the dark age with AIDS. Guys just died. I mean, every weekend it was just on and on and on. I mean, I would walk down the street and pass up somebody, and they would come back and say, Diane, you didn't you, you didn't say hello? And it was because I didn't even recognize him. Crews were literally dying, and all the fundraising that had been going into costume glory was suddenly being reallocated for AIDS research, medication, hospice. And when crews did continue to spend money on lavish balls, they were criticized. Lou Bernard. The crew of Olympus got heavily criticized for raising money for people to come watch us wear beautiful costumes and stuff. And somebody said, don't you think you should be raising that money for AIDS? I said, darling, don't you think the living still have to enjoy life? They, they said, how, how can you even think of letting people raise money so you can put your goddamn costume on when people are dying? And I said, well, darling, not everybody's dying. Lou said it was an act of resistance to continue to hold the balls, to get dressed up and live life. Still, he estimates that AIDS wiped out gay carnival crews by about 50% in just a few years. And many of the survivors decided they needed to save their money in case they too became HIV positive. Gay carnival never bounced back after the impacts of the AIDS epidemic. A long list of roughly 20 crews dropped to just a few. Today, only four of the original crews are still active. A few new crews have started up in the past few years, but Diane, Lou, and Fish think that Gay Carnival may be on its way out, that there's less of a need for it. We endured all of this in our life so that this generation could do what they are doing today. Let's be clear, LGBTQ folks still face discrimination every day. And that anti-sodomy law passed in 1805, it's still on the books. As recently as 2014, the state legislature voted not to remove it. Barrett DeLong of the crew of Arminius knows this all too well, but recognizes the rights he's gained as a gay man thanks to the sacrifices made by the people before him, like Lou and Fish and Diane. That's why he's committed to keeping his crew going, to honor the pioneers of gay rights in New Orleans. He says what was once mostly about survival is now about tradition. We had to change from being just a, a social club because we don't need that anymore. That's not a need of the community. We're a preservation society. We preserve what these men did because the show goes on. Which is also why Howard Smith wrote his book, because now... When people talk about the history of Carnival, they have to talk about gay Carnival now because it's not just a paragraph or an, uh, you know, a mention in some of the history books. Here is this solid evidence that this was a force. You know, despite all the harassment, despite all of the social negativity for being gay, here it is. You have to deal with it. Tripod is a production of WWNO New Orleans Public Radio in collaboration with the Historic New Orleans Collection and the Midlow Center for New Orleans Studies at UNO. Special thanks to Evan Christopher for the opening theme music, to the entire Tripod editorial committee, and to Tripod's editor, Eve Abrams. I'm Lane Kathleen Levinson, and I'll tripod you later.